morning, church. God is good. And all the time. I can always tell when second service is here. You're awake. It's warm. You know, they're warm in first service too, but still kind of waking up, I think, a little bit. But they, they put out a lot of God is good for, for smaller groups, especially when it's cold in the morning, like this morning, right? I was uh, driving to church this morning, uh, and there were two guys jogging. One guy was wearing a tank top and shorts, 53 degrees outside. The other guy was wearing a long sleeve sweatshirt and a beanie. Now, the guy in the tank top was completely ripped. You know what that means? Like cut, like muscles everywhere. I'm like, I guess if you look like that, you would wear a tank top early in the morning in 53 degree weather, right? I don't know. I've never been there, so I can't tell you if that's true or not. And I have the sense I never will be there, so, but uh, I'm glad Jesus is coming. What's that? Good sense. Okay. <laughs> um, a few things before I get started uh, this morning. I think it's this morning still. Um, we want to honor our veterans today. And so if you're, if you're a veteran, would you stand? Would you stand, please, if you served in our country? Would you, would you just stay standing for a second? Just stay standing. We, wanna, we want you to stand on behalf of those who, are, who have served and who are serving and have a special prayer. So if you wouldn't mind coming to attention again. <laughs> would you stand again? And we just want to have prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for these, for these gentlemen who have served and protected. Love you and love this country. And Lord, there are many veterans that um, suffer many things. Things seen, things felt, things experienced. And Lord, I ask for your healing touch in their lives. Lord, I pray for their families all across this globe. And we pray also for those in service at this time as well. Lord, we ask for their safety. Lavishly pour out your grace upon them and their families. And ultimately, Lord, our request is that the wars would cease. That your peace would reign. So, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on planet Earth as it is in heaven. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I would also uh, like to update you a little bit on our transitional home. Some of you have heard that uh, we have found a home and we have a lease has been signed. And we are hoping to have our guys in the home by around Thanksgiving or close to, I think, right, Kathy? So things are moving onward. If you haven't heard, Ashley Furniture uh, is willing to furnish the entire house. So uh, a wonderful blessing that is. Um, we are still looking for hopefully one or two more uh, gentlemen. We have two so far. And uh, pray for Pastor Phoebe as well, because he's going to be the RA at the house. And so uh, he never knew what youth ministry in Calamata was going to mean here. But he's excited about it. He's going to do a, a great job. And if you want to know more information about the home, if you want to know how you can help, how you can serve, uh, how you can contribute, you can talk to any of the pastors on staff or to Kathy McMillan. And we're going to send out an email this week with more information. So watch your email boxes as well. And one other note. Some of you know that Julianne, um, Julianne Aranda 
lost her daughter, her only child, uh, a few weeks back, and they had the services back in Florida. Uh, she sent out an email saying that her daughter's birthday would have been this Monday, and so she's asking that people in honor of her life and birthday would do random acts of kindness on Monday. And, uh, you know, pay for the person behind you, let someone else go first, do whatever you can to help somebody. I like to say intentional acts of kindness. So let's be intentional about that in honor of her and her daughter, who unfortunately was only 30 uh, when she passed away. Today, I've decided to um, go off topic, if you will. Um, We're supposed to be in our series on Ephesians, and I had one of those times at the beginning of this week where I just felt, you know, I just really sense God wants me to talk about this. And so I'm going to do that today. And today's message is very near and dear to my heart. Today, you will learn probably more about me, and you will, well, I know you will, um, whether you agree with everything or not, that's up to you, but I'm going to put it out there, and I hope that I hope that you're blessed today, and it really started with a conversation I had in a park last Saturday night. Last Saturday, uh, if you were here, you probably noticed I wasn't here, and my wife and I were in Encinitas, California doing a marriage retreat, and it was Saturday, sun was starting to go down. And we were wrapping up the day with our couples, and so we were at this wonderful park that is kind of up on the hill by, coast, by a coast highway in which you can just see the Pacific Ocean and see the sun going down. It's just gorgeous. And we were all there, and we decided to close the day off by, with prayer. And so we, we all joined hands in a circle, and we just had some conversational prayer with God. And uh, when we were done praying, we said goodbye, and everybody went out on their dates for the night until we saw each other the next morning. And as we were leaving, uh, the Bennies, who are part of this group, uh, were walking with us to our cars, and there was this, there was this husband and this wife, or, this, or friends at least, I don't know, but they were together, and they were off to the right of us doing some type of, I don't know, some type of Eastern meditation, Tai Chi, something, and, uh, and we were going, and he came running at us. He came running at us. He was out of breath, and he said, excuse me, excuse me, I have to know who you are and what you guys are all about. And we said, okay. And, and you could just see his face. He just had to know. And I said, well, you know, it's a marriage retreat with couples, and I explained the process. And he goes, wow, dude. He goes, when you guys were praying, I f- we felt the strongest sense of energy that we felt. It was just so powerful. And then he said, but, but tell me more. I mean, how, how did this get started? What, what, you know, and Mike and Rochelle pointed to Lisa and I and said, they started it all. And, okay, so I started talking, and I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it down a little bit. But all of this happened in just, in just probably over a minute. And he said, it came out that I was a pastor. And, oh, you're a pastor. What, what denomination are you a pastor of? And I said, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. And he goes, Seventh-day Adventist? I've never heard of a Seventh-day Adventist in my life. And he said, tell me more. So I said, okay, well, well, basically, I said, this is what I said. You know, when you have, like, 10 seconds to, like, define who you are. And so this is, this is what I said. I said, Seventh-day Adventists are Protestant. We're Christian. And one of the things that's unique about us is that we believe God has set aside a day. He's completely set aside a day in the week for us to grow in our relationship with him and with each other. And he said this was that is the most awesome religion I've ever heard of. <laughs> I mean, you should have seen his face. He was just like, that is the most awesome religion I've ever heard of. He says, 
I got to find out more. I'll see you later. And he ran off. All right, God. Well, whatever. There you, there you are. But I thought about that. And I thought about, is Seventh-day Adventism the most awesome religion anyone's ever heard of? Well, today, you'll see what I think. Because I think the Seventh-day Adventist religion, the denomination, if you will, is a wonderful denomination. I was baptized in this church. Not only that, I'll back up. I was dedicated in this church. I was baptized in this church. I was married in this church. My wife was baptized in this church. I was ordained in this church. I think I'm part of this church. Whether they want me or not, I'm here. And what I want to share with you today is that while I believe Seventh-day Adventism is a, is a wonderful denomination, a wonderful religion, I want you to know I always believe it's a means to an end. It is never the end. Let me say, never, ever, ever, ever the end. It is always the means to an end. Let me share with you what I believe is the most awesome religion I've ever heard of. And I learned about it in this denomination through wonderful mentors, people who cared about me, parents who loved me and loved God, teachers at our schools, all kinds of different people, Sabbath school teachers, pathfinder leaders, deacons when I was a junior deacon, you name it. But here's what I believe is the most awesome religion I've ever heard of. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What an amazing religion. What an amazing God. The easy yoke of Jesus. You see, I want you to understand so that you will hopefully know what I feel my purpose is. My purpose as a pastor to my pastoral staff to our church leaders and to members of this church and to my family is that by God's grace, somehow, we can be formed in Christ. That Christ would be formed in us. That Christ's life would show in our life as we live our day-to-day life. Think of the alternative. If Christ is not formed in us, not the church anymore. That's not life under the easy yoke. You see, we are not so much part of an organization as we are part of a living organism. And anything short of life being transformed under the yoke of Christ is pseudo-transformation. And no one likes to be in pseudo-transformation or to be around pseudo-transformation or to live in it or to live with it. You see, when we, when we get settled with pseudo-transformation, we become content with what I like to call boundary markers. Boundary markers are what churches and religions and denominations can use to, to define who's in and who's out. 
And it was very common. It's always been common in religious life. It was common in the time of Christ in the first century. In the first century, the boundary markers were circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, and dietary laws. Those were the boundary markers. Those were the ones that the Orthodox Jews would always say, this defines who's in, who's out, who's blessed by God, and who's not. But Jesus says, and always has said, there is more to life with God beyond, way beyond, boundary markers. Jesus constantly said that the religious leaders of his day, this is how he described them, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. That's what the church of his day was doing. In his Sermon on the Mount, he said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I was thinking about this a little bit more. And, you know, one boundary marker for some religious people, for Christians, is smoking. And that's an obvious visual thing, right? Someone smoking a cigarette. And I was wondering, you know, what, what would happen if, if we here at Calamates, all of a sudden somebody was like, you know, they were coming to church, but they were smoking out on the sidewalk. You know, they come into church. I wonder how we would respond to that. Some of us might not have a problem with that. Some of us may. But then, you know, what if as they were coming here and they were, they were being blessed by the fellowship and the teaching and Sabbath school and the worship time and they were, they were growing in their relationship with God and they were starting to tell their friends about it. And before you know it, you know, after Sabbath school, they were all going out for a smoke break out on the sidewalk and you had 15, 20 people out there smoking before they came into church. How would you feel about that? That's one of those boundary markers. Now, now what if, now this would scare some of us to death, if not all of us, what if the things we think in our head, the anger we deal with and the bitterness some of us deal with and all of the grudges and all of whatever it is, all the hurts, hurts habits, and hang-ups that we have in our heart were visual to everybody around us? Who would be let in? We'd all be out. But because it's a visual thing, those are things that we define. And see, I want to remind you, and I always have to remind myself, what was the reputation of our Savior? Was his reputation that he didn't hang out with people who smoked, and he didn't hang out with non-Sabbath keepers, and he didn't hang out with people who ate pork, and he didn't... His reputation, you need to understand this, the one that we call God and that died for our sins, he was known as a glutton, a drunkard, and he hung out with prostitutes, sinners, and some of the greatest traitors the Jews believed they had were tax collectors. That was his reputation. See, my, my fear is, is that if we ever let Seventh-day Adventism become the end, we're focused solely on boundary markers. And not come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, some of the things that we may not be aware about this text is the context in which it's in. The context that this passage is in, when Jesus is saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wasn't talking about if you have problems paying the bills. He wasn't talking about if you are 
if you're having problems with work. He's not talking about, now those are all wonderful things and he cares about those things, but to understand the context that he was addressing, he was talking about the fact that the religious leaders, the Orthodox Jews of his time, were putting so many burdens on the people in order to have a relationship with God, they couldn't take it. The law was too burdensome. All the extra laws, all the things they were doing that they said you had to do, all the boundary markers were too burdensome. In fact, if you want some good Sabbath afternoon reading, you go on, and in chapter 12, because this passage I'm talking about is the end of chapter 11, the first 14 verses in chapter 12 is Jesus being criticized for how he keeps the Sabbath. His disciples were plucking grain on the Sabbath. He heals a man's paralyzed hand on the Sabbath, and they're condemning him for that. Boundary markers. And Jesus is saying... If this religion thing, these things people call, this thing people call a relationship with me that isn't a relationship with me at all, it's just lording it over people and it's, and it's telling people who's in and who's out. If you really want to know God, come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest from your troubles. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light and I'm gentle and I'm humble and you will find rest for your souls. Look at Look at this verse again, if we can put it up on the screen, Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you hear all the you's and the I's and the me and the my? about that relationship with Jesus. Jesus came to remind us that God wants a personal, intimate relationship with us and anything else that's causing a burden and causing us to lose that connection, we need to really think about it. Because He says, I want it to be all about you and about me. Come to me. Come to me. You know, sometimes when I run or I walk or depending on how good I'm feeling that day or whatever I'm doing, you know, sometimes I'll you ever come across a meeting? Sometimes I'll come across like where there's an AA meeting. And they're on a break. And have you ever seen a lot of people who are on AA who are on a break? Not all of them, but a lot of them sometimes. They're smoking on their break, a lot of them. And I'll say, hey, what group is this? Oh, we're AA, look at us. You know, I want to tell you just right now, people in recovery are some of the most healthy people I've ever met in my life. People who are trying to be real and honest with God people who are trying to be real and honest with themselves and people who are trying to be real and honest with the people they've hurt and are in relationship with. Now, I told this joke to you three years ago, so you probably don't remember it, so I'm going to use it again. I love this joke. Mother and daughter get out of church. They walk outside. They see Joe Smith on the corner smoking. And the mother says to her daughter, I can't believe it. Joe's just out of church and he's already smoking. And his daughter, her daughter looks at him and says, Mom, I can't believe it. Just out of church and he's already judging me. Oh, wow. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? Oh. You see, if boundary markers and the denomination itself becomes the end and not a means, then we will be, like the words Paul said, we will have the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Because the power is in living under the easy yoke of Jesus. The power is in living under the loving relationship of Jesus. See, Paul went on and he said, 
In Galatians 5, 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Boundary markers, he says. Those were the boundary markers. For in Christ Jesus, the boundary markers have no value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Galatians 6.15 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, the boundary markers, but a new creation is what matters. In Romans 14.17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Faith expressing itself in love, new creation, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, righteousness, yes, it's Christ claiming us righteous through Christ's blood. But what we need to understand, too, is when the Bible talks about righteousness, it means that we are part of God's new creation in the world, living in His kingdom, bringing about, making everything right again in the world. That doesn't happen when we're focused solely on boundary markers. It happens as we are being taught and led and loved by Jesus under the easy yoke. As we are loved, so we love. I love the story that Luke tells in Luke chapter chapter 7 about Simon the Pharisee inviting Jesus to his house for dinner. And Jesus goes. And they're having dinner. And what I love too, and I think we ought to get back to this, in Bible days they, they were laying down when they ate. You know? It just makes perfect sense. You eat and you can go right to sleep. Right? A good Sabbath meal. You're already there. And so there they were and the table's there. It's low and they're all lying around the table. Their heads towards the table so their feet are out away from them. And as Jesus is probably, you know, just lying there on his pillow, leaning on his elbow, having his meal, this woman comes up behind and starts weeping over his feet. Tears are falling on his feet, and she's wiping them with her hair, and then she anoints his feet with this alabaster. And Simon, there's Simon, right? The religious leader, the one who knows who's in and who's out, says in his mind, if Jesus only knew who this woman was. If Jesus only knew who this woman was, he wouldn't allow her to do this. Yet isn't it great that Jesus knew who she was and he allowed her to do that? That's the type of God that we have. And so Jesus allows him, but he knows what Simon's thinking. And he tells Simon a parable. He asks him a riddle. He says, you know, if a man has two debtors and one owes like $50, another one owes like $500, which one, and and the debtor decides to forgive them both, which one's going to feel most forgiven? And he says, well, obviously, the one who's been forgiven the most. And he says, you have answered correctly. And he says, he who has been forgiven much, what? Loves much. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. And then I love what Luke says. Jesus says, and this woman's sins are forgiven. And he says, and her sins were many. Jesus knew. She had many, many sins. But she, but she, outside of the church, had come under the easy yoke of Jesus, experienced his love and forgiveness, and was pouring out her love to Jesus. You see, the church wouldn't let her in in that day, but Jesus did. But Jesus did. Galatians 5 says, this is what the fruit of God's kingdom and God's spirit is like. It's love, it's joy, it's peace. It's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control against such things there is no law. In other words, like I tell my kids, you can do as much of that stuff you want to do. Do it all as much as you want. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the easy yoke. Now let me ask you this question. 
Let's say there's a church, and it has these four things. We're going to put them on the screen for you. Let's say there's a church, and it has one. It has the gift of prophecy. Second, it can understand all mysteries and all knowledge. A church has faith that can move mountains. And a church that gives all it possesses to the poor. Let's put those four things together up there. A church that has the gift of prophecy, can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, a church who has faith that can move mountains, and a church that gives all its possessions to the poor, I would say that's a pretty successful church in today's day and age. And if you're going to get to success in either route, well, it has gift of prophecy, we understand all mysteries and knowledge, and we have faith that can move mountains, and they give all of it possessed to the poor. That would be a pretty successful church. You know, Paul addressed that in 1 Corinthians 13. He says this, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. A church that would have those four things and has not love, crashing cymbals, Seventh-day Adventism is a wonderful means, but a treacherous thing. If it never leads to Jesus under the easy yoke, it's a burden. If it never leads to the easy and light yoke of Jesus, it is an extreme burden. I want to share with you, in closing, something I do that I find helpful to live under the easy yoke as much as, as much as I can. A wise counselor once told me one time to try this exercise. And I've done it, and it's been a wonderful blessing. Now, how many of you are aware of what they call your core five, five core feelings? You know what those are? I'm going to put them on the screen for you just so you know. There's mad, sad, Glad, they all kind of rhyme together, so they work well. Mad, sad, glad, fearful, and the last one, hurt. Any of you ever have those feelings before? Good, you're a human being, all right? Mad, sad, glad, fearful, and hurt. Now, whether you know it or not, you have those feelings a lot. And I discovered that I had a lot of those feelings too, and I just never acknowledged them. And so here's something that I like to do. I try to do this every day. Every morning in my time alone with God, I sit down with an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper and I write down, what am I mad about? I just write it down. What am I sad about? I just write it down. What am I glad about? Put that down. What am I fearful about? What am I hurt about? And you know, it's amazing to me how sometimes I can sit there and go, you know, I'm not mad about anything. But then I'll realize, oh yeah, I do. I'm a little mad about that. And you know what happens? It's amazing what happens when you don't ever deal with that stuff over years and years and years and years. Sometimes just days. And you wonder what's going on. I remember one time I was doing this, and I got to, I'm not hurt about anything. I go, man, I'm just not. And then I started writing about something I thought I might be hurt about, and I realized that that was causing a problem with something else. But here's what I'm saying. Jesus, as one of my mentors said, wants to come into our heart. And if he's going to come into our heart, then he wants to deal with the stuff that's in our heart. And if we don't ever want to deal with the stuff that's in our heart, then... It's hard sometimes to get real with Jesus. 
Jesus always wants to get real with all the stuff that's in there. He wants to dig down deep. He wants to build a foundation deep down. And so what I like to do is I sit down and I just do those simple things. I write a little paragraph about each one and then I hang out with Jesus in the Gospels. Listen to what he has to say to me that morning and surrender it to him. Say, here it is, God. Dig down deep in me, Jesus. Dig down deep and do it. I want to be real with Jesus in the easy way. You know, in closing, Jesus was a carpenter, right? Jesus was a carpenter. And you know what was kind of the bread and butter for carpenters in his day and age? Making yokes for oxen. So Jesus knew how to make yokes. In fact, uh, William Barclay says that legend has it that Jesus was known for being the best yoke maker in Galilee. He might have even had a sign above his door. Perfect yokes made here. And when you make a yoke for oxen, you know, you don't just make them in general and then someone comes and buys a few for their oxen. You have to make it fit right. Otherwise, the oxen, the shoulders start to hurt and everything starts rubbing wrong and then they can't plow the fields. And so you've got to make sure that the the oxen fit perfectly to the yoke and and it works well. And so Jesus would take the time to make sure that that yoke is made just for that ox and for the oxen. I want us to remember that Jesus still makes the best yokes for all of humanity. That no religion, no denomination, no person besides Jesus Christ builds a yoke worthy for any of us to live under. Healthy enough for any of us to live under. A life worth living under. Church, I want you to know for me, living under the easy yoke of Jesus is the most awesome religion I've ever known. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in humility, in awe, in thanksgiving for the invitation that you've offered us to live under your easy When you created us, and even after sin, and you came for us, you never, ever had the intention for us to live a burdened life under religiosity. But Lord, when mankind gets involved, kingdoms and empires start playing games, and we can use your name to hold it over people, to control and to manipulate, to do cruel things in your name. Lord, I thank you so much that you came to clear it all up. You came to show us the love of the Father. You came that we could have rest, that we could live life freely and lightly. So Jesus, give us the grace to live under your yoke. Not a denomination, not any type of religion, not any person, but yours. For only you can make a yoke that fits us perfectly. Would you take a moment now just in silent prayer to talk to Jesus about you and him and his easy yoke?
remind you this morning that if you would like prayer, there will be people down the front that would love to pray with you. Believe in prayer. Wonderful gifts God has given to us. As we go, may we hear the words of Jesus, our Master, say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God bless you.